To support our work at the Izzy and Murtada Picture Show and the work of other independent creators like us, sign up to listen to the podcast on Nebula. Nebula is the creator-owned streaming platform that hosts great videos and podcasts like the one you're listening to now. Sign up today at nebula.tv slash picture show and you will get access to this podcast plus other great podcasts and videos. Sign up for Nebula and help support independent media creators. That's nebula.tv slash picture show. Hi, I'm Izzy. And I'm Mortada, and this is the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show. Um, after a week's break, we're back. Hi, Izzy. Hi, Mortada. Lovely well, to see you again. Good to see you too. But in this week break, um, lots of things were happening. But one of them is that the Izzy and Mortada Picture Show had an outing. We went out together um, and we went out to support the WGA and the writers strike and join the picket line at the Silver Cup studios in Long Island City. That's right. We did. We showed our union solidarity as people who enjoy the work of writers and who want them to be thriving so that they can make the things that ever all of us love to absorb every single day. Um yeah, we went out there to show our support. It was really fun. And yeah, saw some some big names there, I would say. Yeah, Seth Myers was there. Mm-hmm. Was very mm-hmm. SNL heavy. Tina Fey. Yeah. <laughs> yep, yep. Fred Armisen, very chill, very chill. They're just walking around, hanging out. Yeah, um, and, and there were a lot of very nice, funny signs. Um, we talked to a few people. There were lots of support from SAG. So there were a lot, a few actors in the picket line, which was great and nice to see that support mm-hmm. from SAG. Although, have you, did you see that Fran Drescher clip that was going around from I, when she was I, on the picket line? I did see it. What did she say in it? So it's very bizarre. So if you don't know, she's currently the president of SAG. And um, so obviously when she was on the picket line at Paramount Studios in Los Angeles, uh, someone went up to interview her. I think it was Deadline or something. And she was like, well, they asked her about the their union's negotiations, which will be coming up soon. And she was basically like, well, you know, our contract situation is very complex and it'll take a while. And, you know, we're not facing the same issues that the writers are facing. We're going to be asking for different things. So, you know, uh, we'll see. But, you know, solidarity with the writers, et cetera, et cetera, which Mm. I thought was the most bizarre thing she could have possibly said. I was very taken aback by that. Yeah. How how are they not facing the same issues? That's that's right? very strange. It's yeah. like AI is coming for you. Residuals are also zero. I don't understand why you're not asking for the same thing. Like they don't have writer's rooms, obviously, but. Yeah, the streaming, the whole thing is about the big, one of the big things is the streaming residuals, which I'm sure actors are facing too. And yeah. not only that, but I'm like, there's no way your residual checks for the nanny when it was on broadcast TV are the same as HBO Max. Like you would think that she would know that. Or yeah. I don't know, maybe she got some incredible deal or something. I don't know. Maybe. Or it could be a tactic um, just before she starts negotiation. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so, <laughs> um, 
if you're listening to this as an actor, I hope you get a good deal and that you don't get screwed over the same way writers have been. I mean, right now the the strike and the picket lines are fun. Everybody's excited. Everybody goes. You, we yeah. chant against corporate greed. All of that. It's all fun and games. And it's all like, you know, very uh, positive. But I think mm-hmm. as the the strike goes on um, and and if a solution doesn't come, it will take its toll on the people. So um, so I hope they get a resolution soon. And it's not a long strike. Um, yeah, absolutely. Then... But but we'd love to cover this issue in more detail if you are a writer and would be willing to talk to us. Or if you know someone who would like, just let us know because we would love to cover the grievances and talk more about it so people can learn if they'd like to. Yeah, shoot us an email, you know, or um, our email, my email is on all my social media. So you can just find me on Twitter or Instagram and shoot me an email or just at us on Instagram or on um, on Twitter. Yep. But now that we've covered that, I think we should talk about our the film that we saw together as well. Yes. Yeah, tell me your top line thoughts, Murtada. So I think we did this thing last time when we reviewed a movie on the podcast um, and it was showing up, the Kelly Reichardt movie, and I asked you for your headline, for the headline of your review. And the funniest thing is that a couple of people, wonderful friends, listeners, um, texted me their own headlines after listening to that episode. So Wyatt and Jay, if you're listening, this is for you. Thank you for those texts. And I thought maybe (laughs) when we review a new movie, we can start by giving our headline for the review. So um, great. To that end, my headline for uh, for a review of Book Club 2, the next chapter would be, it should come with a wine bottle. It should come with a wine bottle. That's true. Uh, God, what is my headline for this? Mine would be like full Italian fantasy. Something like that. Yes. Um, so this movie starts two of our favorites, Jane Fonda mm-hmm. and Diane Keaton. And with Mary Steenburgen and Candice Bergen, um, it's a fun romp. It is not high art. I would say it's not art at all. Um, everybody's <laughs> wow, doing... that's a little tough. That's a little tough. <laughs> everybody's maybe doing the minimum to just skate by. Um, I think from that's just my impression from like a writing, directing, acting. Um, nobody is trying too hard. I think everybody's basically just playing themselves. And it is as if these four wonderful actors who we love and who've had these long, amazing careers, um, I think they have like four Oscars between them. There's only one of them who doesn't have an Oscar. Um, uh, And Emmys and, you know, cultural touch points over the last 50 years of American culture, all of them, um, just wanted to hang out in Italy. And I guess they got to go there for a few weeks and we get this movie which is a very nice time but you know we saw it last week right we saw it last mm-hmm. week I can't tell you that I remember much of it right even this week <laughs> well it's it's the Mamma Mia principle which I love which is that we should just be paying fun old women to hang out together in glamorous locations I yes. think that should be well it is a genre into itself but yes um more of them I want a Marvel universe of book club and 80 for Brady 
<laughs> in all of these movies. Yes. Um, I mean, I agree with a lot of what you said. I think um, I was impressed with Diane Keaton because I feel like I haven't seen her in a lot recently. Like she's not doing a ton of these except for, I guess, palms, mm-hmm. underrated palms. But um, <laughs> I just, I, yeah, I felt like I hadn't seen her in a while and it was good to see her. There's a scene where Jane Fonda and... Diane Keaton are talking to each other in Venice, I believe. And they're just kind of looking out over the water and talking to each other about their friendship. Mm-hmm. And I was like, it's just so wild to think about like the history of these two women and everything that they've made and all of the truly iconic work that they've done. And here they are together in this film. And I believe is the first time they've not the first time clearly, because it's book club club too, but the second time you know, they, they didn't get to act together in their peak is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Like they had to wait this long to have a film where they kind of were given this opportunity to be together. And it just made me a little sad. Cause I was like, think about, you know, how like Pacino and uh, De Niro got all of these opportunities to be together and like make these works when they were really peaking. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I was like, Oh, what cinematic universe could have existed like between the two of them for so long and what we could have gotten made me a little sad and nostalgic but it was really just kind of lovely to see the two of them like given space to act together yeah yeah totally um I the thing is I never actually think of them as of the same generation although I think they're not that um you know the age Diane's a little after yeah Yeah. Diane's after her yeah Diane's after so I always think of like Jane was Vanessa Redgrave because of Julia yeah yeah probably and I think of Diane with Meryl Streep and Jessica Lange and them because, mm-hmm. you know, they kind of ruled the late 70s and 80s. Although Diane, you know, the godfather was early 70s, which was yeah, which was also Jane's time because yep. that's kind of where I'm thinking of it. Yeah. yeah. The same year as Jane did Clute. So they could have made a movie, you know, in 72, 73 together. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, I think we need to talk about the extremely unhinged beginning of this movie. All right. So before we get to that, do we need to say anything about the plot? I think the plot is just these four women go to Italy and they read a book. The book is The Alchemist by Paolo. (laughs) I feel like the book here is even less, figures less into the plot than it did in the first one. It is extraordinarily tangential. Totally. I mean, the book is about this shepherd um, who traveled. And I think that the only connection is that they're traveling and they go to Italy. And so that's the only connection to the book, really. Although they keep referencing the book several times. But to your point, it's very tenuous connections. Very tenuous. And it's sort of like you could have gotten a lot of these messages from any book. Yeah. You know, it's like you have to take chances and like trust yourself. (laughs) Yeah. Um, but what's funny is like I don't really see the alchemist as being a book that's kind of in pop culture in the way that Fifty Shades of Grey was. Mm, yes. You know what I mean? Like everybody knew Fifty Shades of Grey, even if you don't um if you haven't read that or seen the movie, like people knew what it was. It was kind of a joke in and of itself. Yeah. Like, and- Totally. And, and you know, like to your point, if you even if you didn't read it, you knew exactly what it is about. Well, I think here maybe why the connection to the book is so tenuous. I don't think 
even the screenwriter read The Alchemist because <laughs> everything that they, the connections are very like just platitudes. So yeah, exactly. So you wanted to, to talk about the chaotic beginning of the film. Yes. Okay. So this isn't really, I guess, a spoiler in any like substantial way, but it begins, the film begins um, with them in quarantine. So they're all zooming each other and like, obviously like they don't know how zoom works and <laughs> stuff like that. And we just kind of see them um, usher each other through these two very chaotic years um but it, it is the most like fantastical like delusional um portrait of the pandemic I've ever seen in my entire life in a way that I found like funny because I think mean, it could be extreme it could be extremely disappointing right because like I don't think anyone even if you had a relatively like safe and easy quarantine like I did nobody mm -hmm. really even Enjoyed. I don't I don't look back at this time and be like, oh, what a fun, like nostalgic, happy time I had talking yeah. to my friends. And like it's the way that they all um first of all, like how each of their little zoom windows are shot in like 4K and yeah, <laughs> like yeah, gorgeously yeah. like set dressed in a way that's like completely um absurdist almost, like how clean and like beautiful they are. Um, but yeah, it's just like a montage of them having a kind of a great time and figuring out like, oh, I'm going to buy a parrot during quarantine. Isn't this yeah. so quirky and fun? <laughs> you never talk about what happened at all. Oh, and it's part of selling the fantasy. They're, they're trying to sell the fantasy in every scene in this movie of like, yeah. even even quarantine was fun. Maybe the pandemic was fun. Um even though they do kind of throw throw a realistic thing in that the Mary Steenburgen characters loses her restaurant because, you know, you know, businesses yeah. like that didn't thrive in the pandemic. So she had to close the restaurant. But, you know, very easily she moves on and let's go to Italy. And, you know, they yeah, yeah. come up they come up with a reason to go to Italy, which is um, Jane Fonda is going to marry Don Johnson, who she met in the first movie. Somehow he proposes, she accepts and now they're going to go for the bachelorette, uh, a bachelorette yeah. trip. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that's kind of the appeal of these movies, right? It's like, there is no downside. There's no dark side, really. Everything bad that happens to them is tidily, um, you know, made into a lesson or something fun and quirky that happens. There's no sadness, really. No yeah. lasting sadness. No, there's just a lot of wine, which is why I yeah. said in my headline, this movie should come with a bottle of wine Yeah, because they drink so much wine. And as I was watching this movie, I really wished I was home and watching it on my TV, on my couch with a glass of Sancerre or yes. some wonderful Italian wine, something. I guess Sancerre is French. I don't know wine that much. So don't come at me if you know wine. <laughs> but whatever I know whatever. what you mean though <laughs> yeah yeah I felt the same way I was like oh I'm ready I'm ready for an Aperol spritz by the water yeah. you know whatever your um your your you know libation your favorite libation is you yeah need it, you need it with this movie so if you're going to see this movie or you already saw it this weekend if you already saw it I hope you went either drunk or high or you know you should is actually what we're telling you is you should do that yeah 
it's but what i'm saying i feel like i just criticized this movie for like not being realistic which i didn't mean to i (laughs) what i mean is like i love that it is building this fantasy like the fantasy of going to um it italy and not being hounded by other tourists like how they Mm -hmm. just go to the trevi fountain and take selfies and no one else is in the pictures you know they're just like by themselves at one of the biggest tourist attractions in the world like i love that yeah i love how like unreal it is yes i think it will give unrealistic expectations to a lot of people who are going to see this movie and book a trip to italy (laughs) yeah i mean i think the italian tourism whatever should pay them something i'm sure they gave them i hope they did (laughs) yes there because it does act like you know a two-hour advertisement for wonderful time in Italy in Venice in Tuscany it gets really specific like they go to Venice they go to Tuscany and all of it looks gorgeous and just looks like somewhere you want to be yeah it's beautiful and not only that okay they make Italy look gorgeous um they do you know the stereotype of getting robbed in Italy is ever present of course (laughs) um yeah but the trains do run on time and they're able to rent a car which I certainly was not in Italy (laughs) yeah Um, I mean the movie does um does give you a lot of stereotypes so um there's a lot of like older people jokes um which Mm -hmm. you expect in this sort of movie there's a lot of like older people have sex jokes which are also (laughs) not always very not always very funny. I would say even the jokes, I would give them like a 50-50 that they will make you laugh. Like they're not that funny. They're just like, you're you're more agreeing in that they sound familiar. Some It's an old joke that you've heard a million times. So you're more reacting to the recognition of the joke as opposed <laughs> to it actually being funny. You know yeah, what I mean? Totally. Um, They picked... A very gorgeous cast. I will say, like, okay, so they make Italy look gorgeous, but I also appreciate that they spend a lot of time allowing these women to be not only sexual, but also just, like, very beautiful. Like, they They dress them so well, and they want you to, like, live in this, like, gorgeous model-esque world where these women are, like, at the peak of glamour, and I love that. Yes, and and... You know, I, I think I said earlier that they play themselves, um, which to a certain extent they do, but also their style is the style that you know these women for. for. Like, you know, mm-hmm. this is, especially Diane Keaton, who has this very unique style, and she continues to do that. And it's there's a whole subplot about the Diane Keaton dress that she wears in the final big scene of the movie, the plot of how she got that dress, is funny, recognizable, because it's about when you see the dress and kudos to the costume designer, you know it's a Diane Keaton dress. It's something gorgeous, but also familiar and looks like so many outfits that she has worn throughout the years. And you immediately, and they play on that. And, you know, when you have an icon, a style icon like Diane Keaton, it behoves you to make that a subplot of your movie. So kudos to whoever came up with that. Yeah, it's a beautiful dress. And exactly like you said, uh, the epitome of Diane Keaton's glamorous, like faux masculine style. Yes. Um, And also, LOL, that her name is Diane in the movie. Like, they're not even trying to hide 
that she's oh. playing herself. It's amazing. It is so amazing. They're all playing themselves. It's so funny. Um, and I wanted, you know, so the two bigger names, obviously, in movies and as two people who love movie stars and, you know, American film history and all of that are, of course, Diane and Jane. And throughout this whole thing, as I was watching this movie, I the credits came come at the end. So you don't see the credits before. <laughs> so I was like, who's going to get top billing? Is it Diane or is it Jane? Mm-hmm. And it's Diane. Diane gets top billing over Jane. And I think if you see the movie, you kind of know why. Um, yeah, they definitely. But it's like the two of them first. And I think they definitely share the bulk of the work mm-hmm. in the film as well but I was surprised by that I really thought Jane was gonna get it yes I I would think Jane is the bigger star but I think this movie is more of Diane's wheelhouse like Diane is mm-hmm. known for light comedy she has made so many of, mo- of movies like this where the relationships between people between friends between lovers between husbands and wives all of that are sort of the bread and butter of her um, screen persona while yeah. Jane has especially in the 70s where it was you know making grittier more realistic films I don't I think comedy and light comedy specifically is something that has come to Jane Fonda later in her career with Grace and Frankie and some of and Monster yeah. in Law Monster in Law yeah yeah so yeah. maybe that's that's why Diane gets top billing but I also think she gets top billing because she plays herself, but I think she also does a little bit more work than the other three in that she's the mm-hmm. one who who does the physical comedy in this movie. She's the one who does the pratfalls and sort of like the heavy lifting of trying to elicit laughs. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you agree with that? I, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, I, I definitely think it's interesting that there's this sort of like, th- for this era of Jane Fonda, there are kind of two opposing aspects of her persona that are popping up in different vehicles so like with grace and frankie for example or with monster-in-law you have like this older put together like kind of conservative woman Mm -hmm. um but then in stuff like book club and 80 for brady she's like the slutty one like her personality is slutty (laughs) (laughs) Yes. <laughs> and I think it's I think it's interesting that she does both and I feel like they're kind of equally convincing. Like I do buy her as the uh, as the grace type who kind of, you know, needs everything in order and wants to efficiently run her business, but then with someone like Vivian, she's more freewheeling and like doesn't want to be tied down and she's, you know, yeah, less or more apt to like take chances that maybe like Grace wouldn't take. Yeah. And I, you know, I love that she gets to explore these different facets, um, you know, as a completely new venue for for her in late career. And the thing is, Jane Fonda is in her mid 80s. And I think this is the third movie that she has released this year. This year. Yeah. Uh, Plus the TV shows, plus all the other things. There is so much Jane. I hate the word, but there is so much Jane Fonda content right now. And aren't we lucky to, you know, the movies might not always be that great. Definitely do not compare to They Shoot Horses or Clute or any (laughs) of her amazing late 60s and 70s movies. But what a joy and what a treat to watch her on screen. But here's the thing is that I, I fully believe if she was given the material, she would give us that, though. Now, 
Totally. Because I constantly think about her in youth. Oh, which yes. came out a couple of years ago. She has one scene in it, but she just ate it up. She tore it up and it was so good. And there was talk about her at that time, I think being nominated for that one scene for an Oscar. Mm-hmm. And she should have. She was she should have. And um, I was like, she still has it. Like, I don't think we need to. There's an element of these movies that I really love, which is like that escapist thing that we've been talking about and just having fun with personalities that we enjoy. But then there's mm-hmm. also, I think, kind of a condescending aspect to it yeah where it's like think about what these women are capable of or like the cast of 80 for brady what they're capable of yeah and we just simply are not writing material that allows them to do that yeah so maybe post writer strike somebody somebody can come up (laughs) with a movie that is an actual big dramatic stakes are high for both jane and diane to kind of show us what they can do together um but I do want to tell you and the listeners a story. Youth is the reason why I met Jane Fonda. Um, oh. So I was invited to to the you to the the studio behind Youth uh, Christmas party because you know they invite people when they have a movie gunning for Oscars, and so I went and Jane Fonda was there, and I immediately made a beeline for her. Um, she's <laughs> as you should. Yes, she looks great. Um, she's very tiny. She's so tiny, so tiny. Yes, so I've seen her in person once, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's a like popsicle stick of a person." <laughs> yes, so tiny, so skinny, so short, but has this huge head, <laughs> which is you know what all most movie stars have. And I remember just I'm like, "What am I going to say?" And I just said to her, "You know, use." should have been about your character. That's the movie that I wanted to see. <laughs> and then, of course, she immediately was like, well, you should tell Paolo Sorrentino that. And I'm like, I will. Yeah, actually, though, he should make that movie. Yes. So anyway. Damn. I mean, speaking of like, now that we're back to Italy with Paolo, yes. um, I thought it was pretty cool that they got Giancarlo Gianni- Giannini for this movie. Like, what a get. What a fun... <laughs> Totally. Didn't expect to see him in there, but there he was. I mean, if you're going to Italy and you have Jane and Diane, you need to get an Italian actor or actress of their generation. So I think mm-hmm. they, they, to your point, made exactly the right choice. Yeah. Good, good cast of guys. I feel like there's a correlation between, you know, when I watch like an old Betty Davis movie or something and, um, you know, she has like George Brent, who yeah. she's in love with, who's just like kind of there. Do you know yes. what I mean? Like yeah. An acceptable oh, receptacle of her affection. George and like, does, you know, like that. I feel like this cast is like full of George Brents. Yeah. Like I like I like seeing you here, but you just don't grab anyone's attention because, you know, like you're not supposed to be the attention here. Absolutely. So Giancarlo Giannini is paired up with Candice Bergen. Greg T. Nelson is paired up with Mary Steenburgen, Don Johnson with Jane Fonda, and Andy Garcia with Diane Keaton. And what I like about the Jane and Diane, I'm not sure uh, of Greg T. Nelson and Giancarlo Giannini, but what I liked about um, Don Johnson and Andy Garcia is that they're both sort of older people but they're still very, very attractive mm-hmm. and also younger than they, than Jane and Diane. So they let's are- Let's start really... an age gap discourse. Yeah, let's do it. <laughs> 
<laughs> so they are totally selling this fantasy. If you are, if you aspire to be Jane or Diane, you can get a hot younger man, but also age appropriate. Like nobody is going to say anything about the age difference, but it's nice that they're there and they're yeah. a little younger. And got to shout out um, Hugh Quarshi as well. I think that's how you say his last name. Yes. Um, who, fantastic. Who, I think he was my favorite of the guys. I was like, you yes. should, yeah, continue on with this relationship. So he's Candace's younger man. So Candace gets yeah. two men. <laughs> Candace has That's two. right. <laughs> he was such a good one. Like, there were times where I was, like, actively rooting for all of these women to cheat. Yeah, with I was him. like, you should, yeah, you should all cheat. <laughs> yeah. And what it's another fantasy. You go to Italy, you meet a handsome man like that who can sing. And there's yes. a big scene where he he sings. And, and it's, he's a professor. It's yes. It's like everything you want. He's smart. He's he knows his way around Italy and he sings. <laughs> yeah. Has great food. He has great food, you know, he has access to that restaurant. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. You know, talking to you, I think I like this movie more. Now, maybe I want to go it's watch it fun. again. <laughs> yeah, it's so fun. Like, I really do think the ideal book club outing is like, go get some Italian food, get like a, some glasses of wine, and then go. I think it's a really good outing. Yes, it is. It is a lot of fun. I hope it's successful so we can get a book club three, maybe. Well, okay. Here's a question. Book club three. What's the book? Where are they going? Oh. What's what's the adventure? You know, this is tough. I don't know. Mm -hmm. um, Italy is... Italy is hard to top. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's really hard to top. It has to be somewhere more exotic. And the White Lotus is going to Thailand this third season. So mm. I don't want to say Thailand. I don't know. Uh, well, while you're thinking, I will give mine. And here's my idea. I would do um, an, an adaptation of the Iliad. Mm. You know how like, oh, brother, where art thou is, is the, it's the Iliad, right? Yes. Um, I would do that exact same thing, but they're like in Greece. And so they're, they go to the, to Greece to read like old Greek tales or something. Oh my God. I love but it. Already. Like the whole adventure is essentially them like going through some of the same kind of weird things that wow. Odysseus goes through. And then, <laughs> yeah. Cause then you could have like the sirens and stuff and. That could be their little love affair for the for the movie. And yeah. Oh, my God. I love it so much. Or maybe it's like Book Club 3 is also Mamma Mia 3. So then, <laughs> so then Meryl and, yeah. and Julie Walters can join them and everything. They are, they're the Donna, Donna and the Sirens. <laughs> yes. Um, and what if, since it's Greek, they should just get Yorgos Lantimos to direct it? I know that this is not the kind of movie he does, but... I would love his sure. take on a, on a screenplay like Book Clubs 3. Yeah, that would turn super dark. Then it would suddenly be a lot like the Iliad, like freaky. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe it will become that gritty, realistic movie we want Jane and Diane in. Um, yeah. I really can't think of anything, but I think the, the book that came to my mind is Lucia Berlin's Emanuel for Cleaning Women because we've been robbed. That was going to be a movie 
directed by Pedro Almodovar and starring Kate Blanchett and that project stalled. Mm. Um, Pedro is no longer doing it, although he did write a screenplay. Kate says she's gonna do it, but who knows if that's gonna happen or not. But why don't these women just read that book, go to Mexico, and it's not like this is not they can read it can be the same way as they do it in book club two which is their relationship to the book is very tenuous it's just a book that mm-hmm. partly set in mexico and they can read about it and maybe get drunk a few times um and absolutely that's it on tequila instead of white wine <laughs> <laughs> yeah i would love to see them in mexico city that would be great yeah so listeners you know, at us, let us know your suggestions for where book club three should take place. Yeah, we, I want to hear them for sure. If we want to rank the performances of the four women, um, mm. I would say um, Diane Tops. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually liked Mary Steenburgen a lot in this movie. I think mm-hmm. she she gives sort of like she's the warm part of the film. She's the person who, whenever you see her, you just get that warm, fuzzy feeling. And she does that really well. So I put yeah. her second behind Diane. Then, I don't know, Jane and Candace. I can't choose between them. They can both be third. That's fine. <laughs> um, I would also rank Diane at the top. I did enjoy Candace Bergen's performance quite a bit. You know, I, I'm going to put Candace second, then Jane, then Mary. And I am not saying that as like Mary Steenbergen was bad. Yeah. But it's just more like I'm less interested in a married couple's problems than yeah. I was in the other uh, plot lines, I guess. Yeah. And, arcs. And Candace plays the one single woman in the mm-hmm. f- between the four of them, which is, you know, something you don't see that, you know, usually when you do a movie about older people, they're all paired up or so. That's a nice, refreshing thing. But tell me more about why you liked Candace's performance, because I think we, we haven't yeah. talked about her. I think it was fun for that reason, because she is the single one and she gets to do things that the other women like didn't really have permission to do. Um, and I also like that. Well, I think all of them kind of do this, but I like that they do that like real talk thing <laughs> where they all get to deliver extraordinarily like harsh not extraordinarily but a little bit harsh hard to hear criticism straight straight up to their Mm -hmm. good friends um I felt like she was very good in those situations where she was like listen you gotta get your act together yeah and this Um, is yeah and that's definitely one of the things that's enjoyable about this movie is that it does portray older people's friendship you know people older people don't have time for pleasantries and they'll just Mm -hmm. tell it to you like it is and these women do that and that's Mm -hmm. one of the sort of pluses for the screenplay yeah and I also feel like you know if if we talk about like oh I'm a Carrie or I'm a Miranda whatever you know yeah I feel like I am a Sharon I'm a I'm a the Sharon of (laughs) of my my friend groups where I'm like you know just balancing being a uh boring person with like a health like a a decent amount of whimsy you know yeah yeah and Sharon is Candace Bergen for those who haven't seen the film yet (laughs) yes 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 um so I just appreciated that I was like oh yeah they're you know representation for us like weird less fun (laughs) the the least fun friend in the group (laughs) (laughs) and she doesn't get a lot of the jokes and as somebody who has done 
sitcoms. You know, Murphy Brown was on for a very long time in in the was it the eighties? I'm not 90s, sure. Nineties, yeah. Okay. Eighties and nineties. Eighties uh, and nineties. So she's the one who sort of has experience more, or you know, experience with the sitcom. Don't come. Jane does too now with Grace and Frankie, mm-hmm. but she's maybe the one who has perfected that, and so she gets a lot of like the non sequiturs and the one-liners and the things that, you know, at the end of a scene, um, it cuts to her so she can deliver the punchline and mm-hmm. she does it well. Yeah. So, yeah, I just think she was great. Um, I also really loved Mary Steenburgen because I think, like you said, she's just always such a warm presence. Like you want to just be hugged by her, I think. Yes, totally. Um, and you know, let's talk a little, let's talk about sex. This movie, everybody gets. Everybody gets a, a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, and even a lot in Candace's. In Candace's. <laughs> um, so this is a movie that portrays, you know, people with healthy um, sexual appetites. And it's all positive. Nobody's slut-shamed. Nobody is even, in, in fact, it's the opposite of that. They're all sort of um, excited to show that part of their life women supporting women (laughs) they really they have each other's backs yeah and they're encouraging each other to make healthy mistakes which i think is very nice yeah so i think we're both positive in this movie we recommend it go see it with a bottle of wine um but we have to turn it to betty right that's right so take us betty davis what a dump. So what's your dump this week, Izzy? My dump is that we uh I didn't know going in that they sang a, a song at the end. There's a song over the credits, which the cast contributes to. <laughs> okay. And I was like, this should be everywhere. Everyone should be talking about this. So my dump is that, I don't know, put it earlier in the movie or something, because I want to hear more of it. <laughs> so, so you're basically dumping on maybe the marketing of the film <laughs> yeah i'm dumping on the marketing i'm dumping on um that this isn't spotify number one uh billboard number one a hot chart 100 charting that's what i i'm dumping on that yeah i'm gonna dump on the giancarlo Giannini character i just don't think in 2023 we need to portray cops as nice <laughs> benevolent sexy um you okay, know well here you come with the actual good criticism <laughs> thank yes. you yes you know cops shouldn't look like Giancarlo Giannini in movies they shouldn't be people you want to fuck they shouldn't be people yeah. who treat you nicely um I'm sorry I don't know a cop who treats anybody nicely and, and we're recording this a day after there was um a demonstration here in my neighborhood for um, Jordan Neely, who died recently. And the cops were so violent and awful to people. Um, mm-hmm. And so don't, you know, make him something else, maybe a lawyer or a wine maker, something. Then then we can enjoy being, um, you know, looking at him as this sexy, nice guy. Yeah, but, you know, I that's totally fair. I co-sign so, that dump. Well, I think that about wraps it up for book club two. Um, hopefully we'll be back for book club three sometime in the future. Uh, but in the meantime, can you be sure to give us um, a rating wherever you get your podcast that helps us 
um, be found on the various podcast apps, which is uh, extraordinarily nice of you to do. So yes. And the rating has to be five stars. We don't accept any, <laughs> yeah, anything um, less than that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, and until next time, where can people find you, Izzy? Uh, you can find me at BK Rewind and uh, BK underscore Rewind on Instagram. And then Be Kind Rewind on YouTube. And you can follow the podcast at I Am Picture Show on Twitter and Instagram. And I am on Instagram as more, at Mortada underscore E. And on Twitter at ME underscore says. And until next time, thank you for listening.